Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 78. For joining me every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier on in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip, John. All right, Nick. Hey, it's uh, part three of three with Josh Fidel. What are we talking about today? I'm pretty excited. Josh wrote a blog that was part of the reason we asked him to come on the show, and we'll put that in the notes. But in this episode, he really highlights some of the internal challenges and the pressures that came from that move to the global segment. And I think that combined with the challenges that were specific to customers that we talked about in the last episode are what causes this moment of insight that you don't want to miss we can all learn from. Yeah. Yeah. That was really fascinating to understand, you know, what that process looked like for him and then to see where he is now and maybe listen to some of the lessons that he's learned, you know, the the introspection after that. So with that, let's listen to part three, the conclusion of our interview with Josh Fidel. changing that culture sounds like it was pretty hard to do when you moved into the global space and we even talked about bailouts sometimes when you're in a situation that's so challenging or taxing you know like within one of these organizations with the rough culture you have to bail out and go somewhere else yeah absolutely absolutely and and that's uh, actually exactly and it's not that I didn't love the job. I loved the work I was doing when I was at that global level at VMware. I, I thought it was wonderful. I, I got to, you know, I got to go over to Ireland twice for two different customers. And since some of my family is from there, I've, I've got a strong attachment to Ireland. I've always wanted to go. I got to go. I got to meet the people. I got to help them learn technology. I got to do stuff with them. Um, it was awesome, but the pressure that was put on, uh, you know, it was, it was me and two other guys and, uh, our quota for the year was $45 million. So each of us was responsible for $15 million in sales. That's not a small number. Not small. Not no. small. And so you have that stress. And, you know, in, in a large organization, the sales cycle takes a lot longer because these are not people coming to you saying, yeah, we need to buy something in the next two, three months. No, these are people like we need to buy something in the next two to three to five years. So let's start working on this now so we can, you know, do our test, get it established, 
operationalize it, put it into production. Um, you know, figure out the day two stuff before day two happens. So when you're trying to do these long, you know, year long, multi-year sales cycles and your boss is going, what are your quarterly numbers? And you're just like, oh man, I'm, I'm not even thinking about that stuff. I'm thinking about, you know, what's happening a year and a half from now with six different customers, not what's closing in two weeks. Um, so there's that disconnect there. Um, it's, it's, there's a lot of pressure. It's, it's, everything's more visible. Everything's more visible up and down the chain. Well, everything's more visible. If you're up the chain, looking down, if you're at the lower rungs of the chain, it's not so visible looking up, but you can see trends. You can see the way things are going. Um, and it was just, it was, uh, it was a lot. And, you know, I've got, uh, I got three kids. The eldest is a teenager. The youngest is five. And uh, it was taking a lot of time away from them, all this traveling I was doing. I was literally, you know, uh, one week I was in Manhattan and the next week I was in uh, Venice Beach. Or no, Long Beach, sorry. I was in Long Beach. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm home. I get home Friday night, do some laundry make dinner, kiss my kids, kiss the wife, Sunday, pack everything up, Monday morning, you're back on a plane. And it was so detrimental to my family life. Um, I still, I, I owe my wife a lot for putting up with me through that. Um, and just one day I woke up, uh, you know, in a hotel room and I couldn't remember what city I was in. Uh, my phone was dead. I'd forgotten to plug it in. I didn't even know when my first meeting was. I didn't know who I was supposed to meet. I forgot what we were supposed to be discussing. Um, I just realized, like, this is insane. You know, I just sat there on the edge of the bed going, ugh. And, you know, I know I'm not allowed to use profanity, but there was a string of profanity running. Um I realized this is not, this is not good. This is not healthy. And I am destroying myself physically. Uh, I am destroying myself emotionally uh, for this company. And this company is not my kids. This company is not my wife. Uh, this company is not going to look after me when I'm old and wearing diapers. Now, it might help pay for my care when I'm old and wearing diapers, but... You know, they're not going to wipe my behind for me when I'm 90. So that being said, um, I, I needed to take a step back. And because uh, because of my situation, having been a you know a chronic pain patient for 15 years, having a broken spine, uh, I scheduled back surgery. And that was three months of downtime. Not pleasant downtime because you got to do physical therapy and recuperate and walk. Um, but after, you know, after about two months, I was able to stand and cook dinner for the family and spend more time with my kids and hang out on the couch with my kids. And, uh, and when it came time to go back, I realized I, I it's awesome and I love solving these problems. 
I mean, I got to help, I got to help a major financial company go from doing 180,000 transactions per minute in a system to doing over 800,000 transactions per second in a system I had built. That kind of professional joy when you can do something like that. Measurable impact. Measurable impact. And yeah, it, it, crystal palaces. I built another crystal palace and it was awesome and I was so happy. But I realized I'm building these crystal palaces at the cost of what really, really, really does matter. So you're hollowing yourself out to build these like super resilient systems and yeah. your personal resilience was suffering. Yes. And I, I realized I didn't want to go back to that. I, I like, I like being at home with my kids. I like taking them for hikes in the woods. I like, uh, I like being able to sleep next to my wife every night. It's nice for her to be there. Um, so I, I, uh, pretty much took a step back. And there were some other things. I mean, there's always personal struggles and personal conflicts and, and whatnot. Um, but for the most part, it was, I got to do something awesome that very few people in the world will get to do. I think I need to take care of what's really important now. So I abdicated. Mm -hmm. And now I'm at a company where, although here's the funny thing. <laughs> So I'm at this company now and I'm still doing national stuff. Um, not international, although I'm sure that's coming down the road, the way things are turning out, but, uh, you know, but I'm doing it a lot less now. There's a lot less pressure. My numbers are much lower. Um, and I get to what I get to do now. You know, when we talked about, here's my hammer and I can only use now where I am, I have a hammer, a screwdriver, a power drill. I mean, I got any tool you can think of. I've got it in my toolbox now. And, you know, maybe I'm wearing overalls and not a suit, but I got a bigger toolbox and I'm happier doing what I'm doing. Um, I get to be home more. <laughs> it sounds like what you described in that hotel room was what we might call a moment of insight, just a realization that, wow, this is not the life I wanted. I think what people don't see when we look at the technologists that have to travel and they, they do incredible things, but it comes at a price. At, yeah. a, at a pretty severe price, a pretty high price, I would say. Now, were there any signs of this kind of breakdown happening before that maybe you look back on now and think, okay, this was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I look back, um, you know, I've, I've always had, I've always been a bit curmudgeonly and grumpy. And I mean, it's just kind of how I am. Like, you know, uh, but my temper, my temper definitely grew shorter. Um, I, I would tolerate what I felt was poor decision-making 
less and I would be more vocal about it. Um, some people would say in that situation, some people become more confrontational about it. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely more confrontational. Uh, definitely less likely to back down. And other people commented on it too. They're like, dude, you, you're really wound up. What's going on with you? Nothing. I'm fine. Um, and obviously I wasn't fine. I just uh, think that I NFS is the wrong thing for this job. I've never been so seen somebody so upset about protocols. <laughs> well, when you're trying to use NFS for a huge image store, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, anyway <laughs> see? He's there doing it again, Josh. He's doing it on purpose. <laughs> the engineer brain kicking in. Stop that, Josh. Stop <laughs> um, But yeah, it, it's... Uh, they're, but I don't know if you necessarily see them while you're caught up in them. Uh, all, all I saw was I have a goal and I became so tunnel visioned about that goal that I missed. I missed all the signposts on the track and unfortunately went a little Casey Jones. So, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I think that only people who've gone through something like that can start attaching like metrics for those kinds of uh, things, right? It's like, well, the number of times like I, I stand up and tell somebody that they're making the wrong decision over a 30 day period. Oh, it's non-zero. Hmm. I really need to think about that. <laughs> um, uh, here's a, here's another metric, you know, a number of times that I, I wake up and I don't know where I am. You know, there's a metric for you. The number of times that, you know, it's like only after you go through it, can you truly understand like those types of things as warning signs? Well, I would also think there's context. I mean, there's plenty of nights. I, you know, plenty of mornings I woke up in my twenties and I'm like, where am I? Um, <laughs> but that, well, that was no, a, that's a different that's kind of a different sign. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> different podcast. Um, was that drunk history? Anyway, uh, but yeah, there, there are certain behaviors and uh, I, I think a large part of it that I did not engage in was, uh, yeah, everybody talks about mindfulness, um, self-assessment, taking a step back and considering things. And I didn't do that. And I, I wonder if maybe if I did more of that, I would have been less likely to uh, come to the abrupt decisions that I made and that I felt had to be made. Um, I certainly do it now. Um, I still I still overwork now, uh, but it's it's. It's a lot less detriment. You know, if I overwork today, it's because I stayed up in my office an extra half an hour typing out an email or wrestling with Vizio or something like that. Or being like on that. a podcast. With or being on a nerds. podcast, yeah. Hey, we're all nerds here, man. It's cool. That's right. Uh, but uh, you know how I fix that is, you know, I set an alarm. And I walk away and I go downstairs back to my family. 
which is a lot easier to do than getting on a plane and flying home from Ireland. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's very helpful, I think. And, uh, you know, I wonder if maybe, you know, like our kind of Western culture of like, um, I don't know, our idea of like what men are supposed to do and, and not be in touch with our feelings and, and not be introspective and kind of suck things up and empower through, you know, if that like might've, uh, been part of it. I don't know what kind of culture you grew up in. Yeah. I, I grew up in that very, uh, Midwestern, you put your head down, nose to the grindstone, you get the work done and, you know, you put on your blinders and you just go. And at times that has worked very well for me. I've, you know, I've had people call, tell me I'm a bulldog or people tell me I'm a hammer. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good thing. But then you realize maybe it's not a good thing if you do it all the time, but that becomes unhealthy. So you need to moderate and learning how to moderate that go-getting and the toxic masculinity of not being in touch. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, uh, I'm kind of getting over that kind of, actually, I've, I've really gotten over that. I mean, uh, I've taken to wearing a kilt, <laughs> Uh, for the simple fact that they're incredibly comfortable and I know people are going to laugh about it. And you know what? I don't care. I'm comfortable with myself. I'm happy where I am. Um, you can question whatever my sexuality, my gender orientation. I'm married with three kids. I don't really care. <laughs> um, and, and a lot of people have a hard time being honest with themselves and realizing that I don't know it doesn't it doesn't really matter uh, to some extent it matters what how people view you but if you're happy with you and the way you are if you truly are comfortable with yourself it matters a lot less because you're talking about quirkiness and and like mild like character things like as opposed to like basic competence right so you, like you i think what you said earlier on was establishing that brand of like um extreme competence i think that's you know part of like that fundamental part of the brand and like lots of knowledge ability to adjust you know to various situations you know you know large scope small scope those kinds of things like that's a good brand to have you know bad brand to have is, you know, can't get, can't let go of a problem. Um, won't, you know, won't walk away from, uh, something that he thinks is wrong, even when the other person doesn't want to hear it or needs time to, uh, you know, absorb, you know, that they've made a wrong decision, you know, or, you know, those are the kinds of, uh, the, the variations in, in brand. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, some of, some of the most competent people I know in technology, are incredibly competent and they have a good competent brand they've established themselves but their purple hair or tattooed everywhere or I, I i almost wonder if there's 
you have to establish that brand and that competency first, and then you can be yourself. Or do you have to be yourself through that entire process or you're not really being honest with yourself? I don't know. Um, all I do know is that somehow, some way, I found myself at a point in my career where I don't need to worry about my next job because there will always be someone who needs my skill set, who needs my prowess. Eh, yeah, that's kind of an arrogant word to use. Who who needs who needs someone who's good at what they do? And I'm good at what I do, right? And I think other people know that about me and about people who've achieved a certain level of brand, I guess you'd call it. Um, and I'm not worried about losing my job. I'm not worried about what management really thinks. I mean, I want to be cool because I want to be cool with everybody. That's just how I am. Um, but if I, if I see my management doing something that I think is out of line, I'm no longer afraid to speak up. And luckily, the company I'm at right now, I've never had to do that. And I've had very open and transparent and honest managers. And they're like, here's the situation. Here's what I'm thinking. This is probably going to be my choice. Do you have any feedback? I give feedback. They honestly process that feedback. We hash it out. We talk about things. And they make their decision. And when they make that decision, it's not it's not some... Uh, and I'm sure we've all experienced the voice coming down from on high. Uh, it's it's not, this is the way it will be and you don't need to know anymore. Because I think there are a lot of managers who are simply, I'm giving you an order, do it, don't question it. Um, that may work in the military and it needs to work in the military. I don't necessarily think that works in today's enterprises, today's organizations. Um, I think we've seen too much mismanagement and gross negligence. Uh, I'd say especially over the last 20 years, it's become more and more prevalent. I mean, let's go back of uh, what WorldCom, Bernard Ebers, right? Uh, we talk about Enron, right? Uh, we talk about all the terrible things that have happened at Wells Fargo with managers pushing for fake credit cards to be open. I think people are finally realizing that people in management are just people. They may have more book learning. Um, book learning. Uh, sound like a redneck. Anyway, um, they may have, they may be slightly more educated about certain things, but when it comes down to it, we're all humans. We all put our pants on one leg at a time, uh, except now hopefully nobody's wearing pants because, well, we're all working from home. Um, I put my kilt on just like everybody else. That's what I'm saying. A little bit above the belly button. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> and your dress shirt, right? And, well, yeah. Oh, you saw that picture, huh? <laughs> yeah. Did you see that one of me? No, I, I didn't. I'm actually wearing like a white dress shirt and a khaki kilt. I call it my my business kilt wool. Um, it sounds like a nice featured image for when the episode goes out, John. Oh, yeah. I'll look for that. We need to find that. 
I may tell you where it is. Anyway, um, <laughs> but um, especially with what's happening now, I think people, even if they're hurting, even if they really need a job, I think people might just take whatever job comes along right now, but they're going to expect more of their management. I would certainly hope that they do. Um, if you look at warehouse workers at Amazon, if you look at the walkouts they've had at Google uh, over, what was it, HR policy or something, um, look at what happened with Instacart. Uh, people want actual accountability from people with larger spheres of accountability. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they want yeah. they want the larger sphere of accountability to go along with the larger sphere of influence. Um, they want the people who have the larger sphere of influence to also take the larger sphere of accountability. Yes, and be held to it. Yes, I agree with that. Um, unfortunately, I think we're seeing more of the same. Uh, you know. Look at the the Whole Food Whole Foods workers. Uh, they ask for masks, they ask for gloves, they ask for hand sanitizers, and Whole Foods came out with a T-shirt that says "Hero" on it. Ooh, that's kind of rough. Tone. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, it's kind of tone deaf. Hmm. And and I think now I think I think there are a lot of companies who are exhibiting very poor behavior right now. That people are going to remember hmm. you know um character only matters when you're under stress is that the uh no the I, I think character, character matters at all times but it becomes especially important under stress like we're experiencing now yeah and that's sure. again that's why i'm really really glad i have my company uh because the company I work for has character and the owner, uh, I wouldn't say the owner, we don't have an owner. Uh, we, we have a president and the president came to us and he said, look guys, here's the financial situation. It's not terrible. We're actually doing pretty good, but as a hedge against future instability, I am going to take a large pay cut and I'm asking all of you to take smaller pay cuts. That to me is leadership. He said, so we can all be taken care of. We're all going to have to sacrifice a little. I am willing to sacrifice more than all of you. And I want you to understand that I am there for you. I will be there with you. I want us all to succeed. That's impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's so impressive. I actually went to him. Uh, I went to him afterwards and I said, look, um, I'm I'm willing to take this pay cut. I, I do OK. You know, I, I meet all my bills. I've got a little extra to put away for retirement and education. Life is OK. Um, for the foreseeable future, I'm willing to forego my quarterly bonuses because that's how much. I want the other people in my company to succeed. You know, I got a 
I got to surrender whatever, a few thousand dollars every couple months. That's okay. Because maybe one of our more junior people doesn't get laid off. Because I feel accountable for them because I'm in a more senior position. Right. You're saying leadership is inspirational. It should be. It certainly should be. Um, but then we run into the problem of leaders who are inspirational and they talk the good talk, but then they don't walk the walk. So you got to be careful about that too. You got to be careful about who you work for. Maybe you can't make that decision right now today. Maybe you cannot say, I want to work for a good, decent organization led by a good, decent person. Maybe you can't make that decision today. But always remember, it's easier to find a job when you have a job than it is to find a job when you don't have a job. For sure. I think that's the kind, the thing you're talking about is understanding what it is that you value in an organization, right? Um, finding the things that you value in leadership at the top and then maybe even in like frontline management and middle management, you know, you, those are the kinds of things that you learned from experience. Oh, I need my frontline managers to do this. I need middle managers to do this. I need to work for executives who act like this. And that's how you kind of vet your future employers, right? When you are looking for a new opportunity or an, an opportunity comes knocking on your door and you, you need to evaluate that organization top to bottom. Here's here's something I would love, and and somebody posted this. I can't claim that this is an original idea of mine, but here's something I would love. If the next time after this is all over, you go into a job interview, and the interviewer says, do you have any questions for us? Yes. I would like to know what did you do for your employees during COVID-19? Because that'll tell you something about that organization. And you can tell instantly what that reaction is going to be because either their face is going to drop or they're going to be like, you know what? We did a great job. Or there might be some insincerity there, but but that's... <laughs> And and you can spot that too, right? Sure. Um, I, it's funny, when I joined VMware, I went through, God, I think it was like 11 interviews. And I interviewed with other system engineers. I interviewed with other salespeople. I interviewed with managers. I interviewed with directors. And then I interviewed with the SVP of the business unit that I was going to be working for. And that was cool because I got to talk to those people and feel them out. Yeah, I was kind of selling myself too, but I also got to see what type of people they are before I started working. And when I started working there, that was very much a place I wanted to be. And, you know, over time, the Chrome dulls and wears off and things change. And organizations change. And it got to the point where just all things considered, it wasn't where I wanted to be. So what do you do? You, it's always easier to find another job when you have a job. 
<laughs> it's so interesting because I mean, you're just mentioning that process of in being interviewed by, you know, um, directors and you know SVPs, and and I I just realized that of course that happens, and of course um, I did get interviewed after my frontline manager, you know, said, hey, yeah, we're thinking about you know extending you an offer, and started talking about that like at VMware, like I did have interviews after that with the director and so on and so forth, but I never thought about those as actual yes, no interviews, right? It was just kind of like a, oh, okay. And then, you know, this person wants to meet you too. But of course that person could have said no, right? If they found something glaring wrong, right? But, but here's the thing. You have the opportunity to say no after meeting them as well. And a, a lot of people point. forget that. That is a great oh, yeah. point. And okay, you go to you go to interview at an organization. Yeah, maybe you interview with HR person just to make sure you're a good fit. Mm -hmm. um, that you don't have a giant beard or smell funny or whatever. Um, and then you you interview with your manager, right? And or the person who's going to hire you for the position who's probably going to be your manager. Um, go ahead and ask, Hey, can I talk to your boss? I'd love to meet the person who, who is your manager. And then ask that next person, Hey, I'd, I'd love to meet the vice president. I'd love to meet the director. I'd love to meet the CIO. I would love to sit down and talk to him because too many times people view that as I am being interviewed by your company. And they neglect to think that I am also interviewing this company. And maybe there's a sense of desperation or, you know, I'm sure when you don't have a job and you're trying to get a job, you just need income, right? And you'll do whatever. But if you have a job and you're looking for a job, you have leverage. You don't necessarily need to take that job. Um, and sometimes I, like more money is not going to be compensation enough for, um, uh, like oppressive culture. I think you pointed out that as something as you know, you saw uh, during your career, um, maybe in some of your customers, and sometimes there's just not enough money in the world to tolerate oppressive culture. I, I would agree with that. Um, if, if that is important to you. Now, there are some people who I don't care if that paycheck is, you know, six figures. I'll deal with whatever. Okay. That's cool. If that works for you, good on you, man. Um, but for me personally, that, that doesn't work for me. Not anymore. And, uh, hopefully there are more people out there who, who take that point of view. Um, cause I think a lot of the creativity and innovation that could occur in the technology field is and not just not just technology but in anything i think a lot of it's stifled right i think we've all heard the the uh the stories of managers who will shoot your ideas down but then bring it up later at a different meeting as their idea and take credit for your work i, I i'm sure all of us have heard at least one story like that um Is that someone you want to work for? Personally, 
No. Right. Right. No. Um, and I, and I hope, like I said, I, I hope this crisis that we were are in right now. I I hope that there are changes, and I hope that uh, you know we make a better world. But when I was talking about you know stifling innovation, um, how many people could be out there? creating amazing things that move us forward not just in a not just in a uh you know hey look i've got this new social media app and i could share my dance videos but in a look i've got this new app that will allow us to connect with other people to allow us to grow our networks to allow us to find jobs to allow us to make things uh, you know, if you look at innovation uh, in in cars, there hasn't really been a huge, massive amount in the internal of innovation in the internal combustion engine. I mean, yeah, they're getting more efficient until Tesla came along, right? And and Elon Musk doing his thing, and now he's pushing the envelope. He's actually pushing innovation, even if I don't always agree with him, and I. I don't. Um, he is he is pushing other companies to get out there because they have to, and that's an environmental thing. Uh, what if there's an electrical engineer somewhere who's got an even better idea than Tesla's, who could make things even better, but he has to feed his family and he has to pay his mortgage. He can't go out on his own and innovate because he's stuck in this capitalist system. That's where the idea of something like universal basic income, if people have that safety net, maybe they could go out and be more innovative and be more creative and we could create new things faster. Right. Um, yeah. I think what you're talking about is the, the toxic parts of uh, any system, right? Like there's nothing necessarily wrong with masculinity, but toxic masculinity is a problem. There's not necessarily something wrong in like, you know, um, gentle, um, you know, incentives in a capitalist system, but toxic capitalism, you know, it can be, you know, deadly and destructive to an entire society. I think, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth. No, no, I, I yeah, I, I agree with you. There, there are, there are cool things. There are some cool things about capitalism. Um, you know, the, the free market, uh, and even though we don't really have a free market, but the fact that, you know, we go, we come to the market, I have a fish, you have a loaf of bread, we can trade these and each, each of us is happy. Awesome. Um, well, the, the problem becomes I have a fish, you have 10 loaves of bread. You really want this fish. Guess what? You owe me 10 loaves of bread and uh, I'm not going to share the bread with the people who caught the fish. That's right. kind of where late stage capitalism, if you will. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the people have just odd hangups. Um, they have hangups about their jobs. People are so tied to their jobs in this country that when you take away their jobs, they it's almost like they lose their identity. Yeah, it's it's job as identity, you know, mm -hmm. the um, this is who I am, not just what I do. 
Right. Yeah. And those are the folks that don't step back and think about what they value when they're looking at an organization. Sometimes that goes along with it. I've never sat back and decided, okay, I actually value these things and that's what I need in a job. Just like you were talking about earlier. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I, again, all I can hope is that this crisis makes us really, I mean, to the world, this is that step back where we really need to assess and look at what's going on and say, is this where we want to be in our lives? Is this the type of job I want to have? Is this, you know, what are the actual costs and benefits of this system to me, to my family, to my neighborhood, to my city, to my state, to my country, to my planet? And hopefully they come to some realizations. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> Pessimism. But it's interesting because well, you, you want, you want, you faced your own crisis, right? And you turned introspective and you took advantage of the opportunity that that gave you to make some choices, some healthier and better choices for yourself. And it sounds like you're hoping that, you know, this crisis that we're all facing in the world now, that like people and organizations, you know, regions, countries in the world, again, takes that opportunity to be introspective and make a better decision for the future. Yes. Yes. It's uh, just take taking a critical eye to what you are, what you've become, where do you want to go? And then applying that in ever greater spheres. Right. Absolutely. Because, you know, as individuals, you know, we hope that that's what's going to happen, you know, at that larger stage. But then we have to also, like, uh, take responsibility for ourselves and make sure that we apply that same hope to our own personal situation um, and not maybe have that realization that we're not, you know, if you, you might have felt trapped, but you weren't actually trapped. Right. The, the things that you were avoiding, maybe risks that you were, weren't willing to take. You know, because you crave that stability, um, well, maybe you weren't that stable and that sta stability was just an illusion in the first place. There is only one trap that we cannot escape from that we know of, and that's passing away. As sure. long as you are alive, there are options. They may not be the best options. They may not make you comfortable, but there will always be an option. <laughs> all right final parting thought is you know um the story of of my 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 burnout and my change um and i don't want to make this all about me but it kind of parallels where we are as a society um we are all sitting on the edge of our bed going, what the just happened? What is going on? Where am I? Why am I here? And I, I think everybody can kind of relate to that at this point in time. I hope. Um, and now's a good time to take, you know, we've, we've got some quarantine time and it's hard to find, you know, if you've got a family and you've got kids, it's hard to find that quiet time right now. 
but you can find it by staying up till two o'clock in the morning. Um, talk to the nerd journey. Absolutely. Sometimes <laughs> the journey, journey keeps you up late. That's, that's right. Um, and, and I, I just, I hope, uh, you know, all of us, every single one of us takes, takes a step back, looks at what's happened, where we are, what's going on. Um, and make some decisions that, Hey, uh, as soon as this is over, it's time to make the world a better place. Not just for myself, but yes, for myself, but not at the cost of the person next to me, not at the cost of the person down the street, not at the cost of the person across the ocean. Um, we got to figure out how to make things better for everyone. Josh, super appreciate your time. Um, and I really appreciate your story. Um, we're going to post a link to the blog post where you uh, wrote about uh, your uh, career burnout, uh, professional burnout. And uh, is there a place that people can find you and follow you on the internet? Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter at J-C-E-F-I-D-E-L. Um, however, I... I do a lot of uh, off-color humor, I suppose you'd call it, in a nice way. Um, a lot about politics. I'm not just a tech person. I do, I do post a lot about tech. Uh, I, I am. I'll take, you know, I'll be critical of customers. I'll be critical of myself. I'll be critical of vendors. I'll be critical of all sorts of stuff. Um, so, fair warning if you follow me on Twitter. But it's all in good fun. I'm, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. Ever. Awesome. Josh is a great follow, so I highly recommend. Um, you know, after you apply your personal filter, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. And I will say that he's a good dude to just reach out to out of the blue and ask questions or ask him to come on a podcast, for example. Uh, appreciate that, Josh. Thanks for Hey, technical questions, I can help with those too. Uh, political questions, eh, I got my bias, I'll admit it. Um, but yeah, I, I like I like meeting people and networking and helping where I can. Um, I want to make the world a better place too, you know. Nice. Absolutely. Josh, thanks so much for your time this evening. Thank you. Wow, Nick, that was uh, powerful stuff from Josh. I'm, I'm really glad that we talked to him. Um, that was, it was a great conversation. I actually didn't want it to end. Um, and we just ended up having to end it because it was starting to get super late for me. And I was the one on the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, you live in the past, man. Keep That's in mind, right. listeners, we actually only recorded a, a total of two hours of about the four to four and a half hours john and i talked to josh that night pretty sure those two guys could have gone on for the whole night if nobody had to work the next day <laughs> that's right um hey i i want to shout out the uh blog post that josh made about burnout um that was it was super powerful to read and really powerful 
you know, to listen to him talk about that process again. I'm glad you uh, pointed that out. Tough to miss, but, you know, super, super powerful. Yes, sir. One of my favorite things, you know, obviously the burnout stuff was fantastic. None of us really probably see something like that happening while we're going through it. But after you've been through it, I'm sure that you might be able to pick up the signs and someone you know and can try and help them out of a tough spot. But one of my favorite things in that episode was a great interview question Josh pointed out. After this is over, you can ask a future employer, what did you do for your employees during COVID-19? I And I just never thought about that until he said it. Just like I tell everybody I talk to, John, I learn something new every time I talk to you, every time we talk to a guest. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great um, question to reveal the character of a company, organizational character. Yes, sir. I think overall it was a, success, a successful trilogy. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, talking to Josh. Uh, hope we can do it again. Absolutely. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney. All right. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at BJourneyman, for Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore, signing off. Adios. Adios.